Welcome, Investigator. Evil is on the rise. Crime is escalating. Our mission is to eliminate the crime by exposing evil, examine why it manifests, and highlight the brave souls that confront it every day. Join us as we work together to bring justice to every victim. Welcome to All Things Crime. Here's your host, Jared Bradley. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of All Things Crime. I'm Jared, your host, and I appreciate you being here. It's a fantastic day, springtime, so here in Utah, we are just glad that it's not snowing, to be honest. So this morning, I have a fantastic guest, and the first, actually, for all things crime, of a parent of a homicide victim. And this is Eddie Couture, and he is a wonderful man. I, I haven't been able to personally meet him, but from all the people that I know that also know him, he is just an amazing guy. So his daughter and son-in-law were murdered in 2021. And I wanted to bring him on and have him talk about the case and talk about his daughter. So Eddie, welcome to the show. Well, thank you, Gerald. Happy to be I appreciate you taking the time, especially because I know well, I don't know, to be honest. I've never lost a child, and so I, I know this is has to be amazingly difficult for you. So, again, I, I appreciate you being here. But most importantly, I, I think it gives you an opportunity to talk about your daughter and a little bit about her and her husband and a little bit about their case. Because as of now, which is almost April of 23, their case is still unsolved. And so, yeah, definitely want to give you the opportunity to talk about it. Well, I appreciate that. I hope I can build up the portion of your introduction. <laughs> yeah, well, let, to get started, tell us about your daughter. Tell us about, you know, where you were when, and, you know, growing up years and then how she was, you know, got married and, and where things went from there. We were in Texas at the time, what was in Arlington area. My daughter actually wound there time. My wife and I owned there in Arlington. We moved to Glanberry, so she's always been very strong. She was with an excellent businesswoman. She worked for a state payment back for a number of years in her credit card division, and she was head of a team there. Every year she won quarterly and annual, but her team worked. So she was very good at it. She left state, we went as a uh, contractor in the same district, and worked for several companies, and finally. Just before they moved to Ohio, she had taken a, a job with this company. And uh, that's when they needed to go to Ohio. Prior to that time, she was very adventurous, more so than just about anybody I know. She did tandem parachute stuff. And then a few years later, she did air combat. And she said that was a much bigger rush than like, parachute ball. She's uh, done quite a bit. He's a very kind person. He has helped people that have all had out of the abusive, buried situation. And so he's done a lot of things. People like the rage with that. Wow. Sound like a fantastic woman. Now, your daughter's name is Angela. Yes. And she was married to Tom. Yes. So tell me about them and what they were doing in Ohio. Well, they went up there to open a, a restaurant called Salsa Joe's. 
And Tom had opened a few of those in Texas prior to their move to Ohio. But that was where Tom's, that was his hometown and Belmont, St. Clairsville area, which is right on the river between Ohio and West Virginia. They moved up there, bought a fantastic home in a very upward mobile area, large lots, two-story homes. So it was a very nice home. And they opened the first uh, Salsa Joe's there in St. Clairsville. And a few months later, they opened one in Wheeling, West Virginia. So they had two restaurants, and things weren't going well with the second location, the one in West Virginia. The crowds weren't what they thought they were going to be, what they told was history for that location. So they were planning a trip to Florida for my daughter's birthday. And uh, their plan was to go down there and possibly look for a home to move there and open a restaurant as well. So that never happened because their travel plans were to leave on the 22nd. And her birthday would have been on the 23rd. And uh, we were here in uh, Hot Springs. And I had taken the dog to the bed. My wife called me and said, you better come on and come home. And I thought it was probably my wife's brother because he's 80 some odd years old and he's not in good health. And then it dawned on me that she probably wouldn't have insisted that I come home if it was her brother. So I went ahead and, and, and went home that said, well, it's got to be one of the kids. But I originally thought it was probably my son, because he's a fireman paramedic. They're just outside of Fort Worth. And uh, when I got home, she told me it was Angie. And it's still terribly hard to talk about a lot of this. But we were fortunate enough to find uh, uh, Cheryl and the Research Institute, Cold Case Research Institute. And she put us in touch with you in the MVAC system. She even made a trip from Atlanta to St. Clairsville to walk the scene and watch the operation of the MVAC. And at the time we went up there, there was really no leads in the case. And at that time, it had been over a year. The MBAC was able to gather some DNA off of a doorknob, but part of the problem was that area had been swabbed so many times. There was very little DNA, and we could not get a full profile off of that particular area. And there was another area on the microwave that he gathered some additional DNA and did get a profile, but nothing that matched anybody in the SCOTUS system, as I understand it right now. And they have also, the state lab had did some more of the fingerprint analysis 
and they did have a full profile on one print. It was entered, and it did not come back as a hit yet as well. So we're still almost at square one, it seems. This is a case that the local sheriff of Rumble will tell you they never had one like this. It's very difficult because of the... I don't know that it was an attempted arson or if it was more just an attempt to cover up any potential evidence that the house was set on fire, but it did not bond in the ground. We've been in that house several times since then, and that's part of the problem. I, I think the scene was released to base almost the public, it seemed like, shortly after the murders. Yeah, Eddie. They didn't have good records who was in and who was out of the house, what was taken, what wasn't taken. For the sake of the audience that may not know the details, and if it's if it's too painful to, to talk about it, then, you know, please d- don't worry about it. But, you know, you're, you, you talked about the crime scene, you talked about, you know, the house, but can you explain to the audience what happened to your daughter and her, and her husband? Uh, yes, it was in the evening. Somewhere between, uh, we've been told, their estimate is between 11 p.m. and 4 a.m. We feel, and we've not gotten any pushback from the authorities, that it was probably somebody or somebody's that they knew and was familiar with the house. My daughter was sitting on the couch, they could tell from her uh, vaping charger and uh, her Michelob Ultra she was sitting there on the end of the couch. Tom apparently was on the other end of the couch. We're not sure, and we're not sure. They couldn't tell who was executed first. But it was both, in the very same manner, two to the body, and uh, one to the head. It looked like the house had been uh, ransacked. Things looked for, gone through. But what was odd, they didn't take her jewelry. She was wearing it. Tom had some watches, um, unusual watches. And they took all of those, which there was about five, I think five watches of the same variety. And a lot of receipts from the restaurants were thrown around. It looked like the closets had been gone through. Clothes were in disarray in there. And then they set that fire. Again, we don't know if it was an intentional fire just to make the evidence collection more difficult or if they had planned on the entire house burning down. And like I mentioned, it was nowhere close to burning down. The uh, biggest damage was the soot and the smoke inside the house. Uh, The heat was very, very hot because any plastic devices, the thermostats on the walls just melted and ran down the wall the type of uh, Venetian wines they had in the bedrooms uh, were melted and sagging. And the floor in the living room where they were at was very charred. And one of the couches uh, was set on fire. And there was nothing but a frame left of that uh, couch. And other things across the room, uh, a leather upholstered chair had stood on it, but it wasn't burnt in any shape It was just very isolated uh, instances that looked like either three or four locations had been set, one in a closet, which was, I guess, the most successful of the fires, 
because it burned uh, the floor. You could see down into the basement and it started to go up to the second floor, but it never burned up into the second floor. So most of the damage was on the main level of the house. The fire department was notified at around 7 a.m. and they arrived shortly thereafter. They vented the roof, of course, and a lot of the damage was from the uh, firemen trying to put the fire out because the problem they were having, uh, it was very hot and smoldering. And so it took a while to find all of the hot spots and, and make sure that everything was uh, extinguished at that, at that point. Uh, there was one fella that uh, worked uh, up the road from them at uh, a company. I, I never get this name right, but I think it's Stone Crusher. He and the neighbor next door were the first two individuals on the site. The neighbor couldn't get in the front door. The first responder from the company down the street went around to that back door and was able to get in there. And he went in and the smoke was so bad, he couldn't see anything. And he, somehow he found, uh, He found a hinge and was able to pull her body out. She pulled her body out to the back porch, but it was so hot and the smoke was so bad he couldn't go back in. So they had to wait on the uh, fire department to get there. And uh, they were the ones that uh, moved Tom's body out. And uh, obviously the fire department they're putting the fire out. They're going through the house looking for hot spots and things of that nature. Disrupted the crime scene even more. So it's been a bad situation for the investigators to be able to come up with enough evidence to, to figure out a reason why and what, if anything, did they actually take out of the house? We, we don't know. We've heard that, you know, and Tom always had a lot of money on him catch and that may have been 90 percent of why they were there he liked people to know he had money he flashed a lot of money in places that you shouldn't flash money bars uh things like that and uh we think that attributed to what happened but it, it, it's hard at, at this point we really don't know we've tried uh, billboards with uh Crime Stoppers. And I think we've gotten the total. I'm waiting on the sheriff to give me that information. The last time I talked to him a month ago or a month and a half ago, it was like eight calls on the Crime Stopper billboards, which I thought that was awfully low. And when I talked to the lady with Crime Stoppers there in Ohio, she said that's not that unusual of a number. So that initial billboard purchase is about to expire first part of next month and without the information is was that money good spent or not if we haven't gotten any leads that apparently they haven't we're looking for other ways and hopefully this podcast will be one thing that'll reach more people because we don't know if these people are local if they were brought in if they're transient we don't have a clue so any and everything that we can do uh, we're trying to do that so if you've got any ideas, we'll definitely use those as well. Yeah. Well, 
I'm honored that you would be willing to come on uh, the podcast, and and certainly we will broadcast this out uh, both on YouTube and and as a podcast. And so, is is there a number that people can reach? Should I give them my number or the, or the billboard number? Well, let's let's not give your personal number out, but you know, initially, well, is is the billboard number going to expire? I'm sure it will. Okay, but it's it's Crime Stoppers in the Upper Ohio Valley. Okay, and well, I can, and I'll tell you what: right people can always contact All Things Crime, and we will forward their information to you if anybody has any information on. And this is in Belmont County, Ohio, and yeah. uh, the victims' names are Tom and Angela Strushen. Is it yes? S. T R U S S I O N is that is correct is the spelling of their name and apologize I had to read that but so let me ask you when the perpetrators entered their home from the way you were describing you know they were just sitting there on the couch so they were wearing clothes that uh, they had worked in or were they ready for bed what status were they in well, Angela had on evening attire. I said, well, time for shit on some pajama bottoms and a shirt and house slippers. Tom had on a T-shirt, I'm assuming, uh, but was told he was wearing a pair of shorts. And that was one of the uh, areas when they were talking about money. He said, the detectives had told us that he had this money in his pocket. And as the fire and the heat got to him, it basically burned the threads of the material and the air currents because of the fire pulled the money up and circulated it all around in the house. Hmm. So that's what we were told because we had also been told that there was stacks and stacks of money in that house. You know, nobody ever found stacks and stacks of money. But it was not uncommon for Tom to have two, three thousand dollars with him at any point in time. So, again, we just don't know. From the sounds of it, if he would, you know, was flashing money around a lot, then clearly the people of that area would have known that, and and that would certainly be a motive. But you would think, you know, again, I, I apologize for the sensitivity of it, but. They were basically executed, and 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 then the fire was set afterwards. So, uh, and and that's actually fairly common is to you know try to cover up, make things look you know one way. When uh, there was there was a case in Salt Lake City, for example, that a young girl was raped and murdered, and then the perpetrator, once he killed her, then he went and you know threw clothes and stuff all over the place to make it look like. It was kind of a burglary and that escalated into a rape and a homicide. And so, you know, throwing things around to try to throw investigators off uh, certainly isn't a unique idea for some of these guys. And But then to set fire to the house, would you would you think that there was accelerant that was used? Or well, we, just... initially we thought that there was an accelerant used. Since then, we've been told it really wasn't an accelerant it was just a blood pool that had charred and darkened the floor in that specific area okay well 
again, so sorry for everything that you guys are going through. I know it's, um, uh, what are we about a year and a half into this? Yes. Just about a little over a year and a half. And we're no further along than we were five days afterwards. So it's just disheartening. The, the crime lab there in Ohio has been very slow to test some of the evidence that was given to them 18 months ago. About two weeks ago, they did, I think, three more fingerprints. They only did three initially. They did three more. There's still three or four additional that they haven't done yet. One of those prints did give a full profile, so it has been entered, but it hasn't gotten any response. Also, it found out that the state lab is also reluctant to allow the MBAC to be utilized on some of the fingerprints and other evidence that they collected. And I don't understand why. They've already come up with nothing through their lab. Why would they hesitate to let this new technology that they're not using, and I've, I think they have in the past, why they're not using it now, I don't know. We were told by the chief investigator that he had a meeting with them, and they were just not really interested in using MVAC technology. And I just, I don't understand that. You know, then I asked why, and it's basically, well, it's such a new technology. And I said, well, didn't you mention it just a few days before? You just ran a, uh, another test on a, on a crime from 2007, and you got a hit on it, and you've arrested that guy? So... You know, new technology comes along all the time. You can't be afraid of it. And it's already been proven in other cases, any number of cases. It seems like there's been many, many roadblocks thrown up in front of the investigators, like the time that it takes to get them to do anything. All of these, if they would have done one print a month, they would have been done in under a year. Here we're 18 months in it, and there's still two or three prints that they haven't done. And I don't know what else they haven't done, but they've been very reluctant, it appears to me, to be aggressive in investigating and processing the evidence that was brought to them. I don't know if this uh, is common practice across the country. If so, maybe we need to look into doing something different. Yeah, I I don't know all the... All the particulars of um, your, you know, the interactions. I'm, I'm sure Cheryl McCollum. The fact that Cheryl is helping you guys with this case, boy, Cheryl McCollum is the best of the best. So, uh, I, I would certainly keep working through her, and obviously, we will do anything we can to help you. I think right now, the, the best thing we can do is, is keep getting the word out and help to see if there's any other leads that we can generate, possibly through this this podcast and this conversation that we're having. Again, if anybody has any information on uh, this double murder in Ohio, again, Tom and Angie Strussen killed in 2021, please contact the show and uh, we will get the information to Eddie and, and move on from there. But, you know... There are about 250,000 cold case homicides in the United States. 
And part of it is because of evidence that just hasn't been able to be processed. Part of it is, you know, the, some of the labs are just so backlogged that uh, they just can't get to it yet. Technology is is rapidly improving, and so a lot of the evidence that's been tested in the past needs to be retested. And frankly, funding needs to just uh, increase. And there's there's so many labs that just do not have the funding to do things right in order to solve these cases. And Eddie, I, I know uh, Angie and Tom's case is certainly one of those. Uh, my heart goes out to you. I, I know this was extremely difficult, but being a loving father, I know you'll do anything that you have to to uh, to help solve this case. And is there anything, uh, any any last messages you want to give to the audience? And you know, just any any last words. Well, I just hope that someone out there does see this and has a a tip that will help us bring this to a closure and resolution. And I appreciate you, Jared, for all he's done, and of course this podcast. Can't thank you enough. Oh, my pleasure, Eddie. I appreciate it. Again, if there, if you have any updates, you know, any um, anything else happens with the case, then uh, I'd love to have you back on. And we can uh, talk about it and let the audience know. So in the meantime, as much as I can, uh, I hope you know we're praying for you. And, and, you know, anything we can do to help, we will. And the important thing is, uh, Eddie, I, I just hope you know that there's going to be a lot of people, again, that are, that are praying for you guys and strengthening you and, and the investigators. And, you know, things come to bear. You know, things change. One thing we've known and talking and, and helping work with a lot of cold cases is uh, relationships change. Somebody knows something out there. And what'll, what'll happen is, you know, a, a boyfriend or husband-wife situation, you know, their relationship will sour. And somebody, worst case scenario, somebody 10 years from now decides, you know what, that SOB that I used to be married to, I'm going to I'm going to rat him out. And so they'll come to the authorities and spill the beans. So have faith that this will be solved. And who knows, even uh, 10 years from now or five years from now or next month, uh, new technology will come out and they'll be able to either find DNA or, or develop some kind of a fingerprinting phenomenon. You know, something will happen. Technology will catch up and uh, cases like this will be solved uh, a lot quicker than they are now. So, all right, Eddie, I appreciate you coming on, and um, I, I, again, you're you're the first uh, victim's family that I've interviewed, and I just hope we do it justice. I'm sure you will, and I appreciate all your time and efforts and that you've done for us already. Thank you very much. My pleasure. Okay. You have a good day. Thank you. You too. Thanks for joining us. Your attention today brings us one step closer to exposing and eliminating the evil that brings crime to our communities. Hit subscribe and share this episode. Together, we will bring justice to every victim.